Like, doesn't that elevate your thinking? Gosh, what we are anticipating is so much greater than anything this earth can offer us. If that doesn't light your fire, folks, I, I don't know what will. So a couple of announcements. One, uh, Good Friday, Good Friday, Crushing Friday, Terrible Friday, The Cross. Uh, will be uh, Good Friday. Our service is at 6.30 p.m. So mark your calendars for Good Friday, 6.30 p.m. I also want to encourage you, there is a local church called Stillwater. It's a Bible church. They are putting on an outdoor performance. And, and it's literally, would I do it again? And it is this reflection of the cross. There will literally be somebody on the cross, and it'll be outdoor. It'll be evangelistic. So you do want to invite a friend. Go, come, and we'll worship together. We'll look at the cross, and we'll be in awe of what Jesus has done. And I want to encourage you to, to go over there at 745. It'll be right at dusk, and it should be an awesome, awesome deal. And then also on Easter Sunday, who's excited about Easter? Come on. Yeah. Easter's coming. I love Easter. You know, people are like, Easter's like the Super Bowl at the church. I'm like, dude, the Super Bowl? Dude, the... It's so much greater. You can't compare it to something as tarnished as a Super Bowl. Like, it's the time where we come together to celebrate the resurrection, which should be every Sunday. We'll have two services. We haven't had two services in quite a long time. We're going to have a 930 service and an 11 o'clock service. So I want to encourage you to invite somebody who doesn't go to church. I know, that sounds crazy, right? Like, really? Somebody who doesn't go to church? Yeah. Invite somebody who doesn't go to church because people who go to church have a church that they go to. Don't invite them from other churches to come to this one. Invite people who literally don't go to church. Uh, and the gospel will be proclaimed. And Easter Sunday is one of those days where people are inclined to go. So invite. Now, let's talk about demons. Yeah? Y'all excited? <laughs> let's open our Bibles. Uh, Matthew chapter 8. Everybody say word. So one of my favorite movies uh, from the early 90s, uh, by the way, 1990s, I, I'm talking about to our students over here. Uh, I cannot believe 30 years ago. That blew your mind. Like 30 years have gone by. Anyway, great movie starring Michael Douglas. It's called Falling Down. I don't know if any of you have seen this particular movie, but the, essentially the premise is there's a, there's a guy whose life is literally unraveling. Okay, and, and kind of the opening scene is Michael Douglas, and he's sitting there in L.A. traffic, like bumper to bumper, and his sweat begins to form, and there's all this noise, and there's smog, and there's people cutting him off, and, and like everything's like going sideways. He just got fired from his job. He's estranged from his spouse. Like he's in custody battle, and he's just sitting there, and he finally just like loses it. And just like gets out of his car and like walks up into the Los Angeles hills. And, and then through a series of events, he ends up with a bag of guns, which probably not a good recipe, right? So then he ends up at a whammy burger, which is like my favorite scene in the entire movie. Because he walks in and the guy's hungry, okay? He's losing it. He needs food. And he wants breakfast. So he walks in. It's 11.01 a.m. And he orders breakfast. The cashier goes, I'm sorry, sir. Breakfast stopped at 11. And you see the wiring, and, the, and uh, so the manager comes over, and, and he's trying to explain to him, like, he, he needs breakfast, okay? He needs breakfast. He doesn't need a whammy burger because it's breakfast time, and, and the guy didn't understand it in any way. He pulls out a gun, and he, this whole crazy chaos, and, he, and the guy just completely loses it, and he gets farther and farther away from reality. 
Now, I don't know about you, if, if you can even relate to that, like that experience where maybe you're like sitting there in, in rush hour traffic and the, the beads of sweat begin to form and, and you're like, if I step in another pile of Cheerios and if my little terrorist puppy, is there another little puddle of pee? <laughs> and, he, and it's like another overworked day and exhausted and stressed and, and, and maybe it's worse. Like maybe it's like building and building and building and you're just like holding on with your fingertips. Have you ever felt like you're holding on to reality with just your fingernails? Like, and you're just like gripping and, and, and maybe you're like covering it up with makeup or maybe a new pickup truck or education or career or relationship. Maybe another relationship or maybe even religion. Maybe like this raging inner tornado that just will not go away. People call it like the inner demons. And, and maybe we try to drown them in booze or drugs or, or like pornography or something like food or shopping. Maybe another click on Amazon will take away the crazy chaos within or any number of things. All in an effort to avoid the reality that there are real demons and crazy beneath the surface. And what I'm so thankful for about what we're going to read this morning in Matthew's gospel is that Jesus shows up on the shore of our crazy. Jesus shows up on the shore of our crazy. He's not repulsed by it. He's not scared of it. He's not, he's not looking at you going like, I can't believe you're losing it. He shows up on the shore of our crazy. You know what? If we're willing, he will restore us to sanity. If we are willing, Jesus will restore us to spiritual sanity. So we're picking up in Matthew 8. As you'll remember from last week, Jesus and the disciples, they got on the boat, early mid-morning, Sunday morning cruise across the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is like, hey, we're going to go to the other side. And he left out the fact they're about to hit like a catastrophic storm. Jesus is asleep on a pillow. Love the picture. One of my favorite stories. They get into the middle of the lake. The storm hits. The boat's being swamped. The winds are raging. And they're convinced we're going to die. And even worse, Jesus doesn't care. And what we saw last week, and, and what I feel like I experienced in my own life, is that circumstances and storms, they lie. They lead me to believe things about God that are not true. Because I have to always go back to these two truths, that God is good and that God can be trusted. Like, I literally have to say those things in my brain because my broken brain is broken. Yeah, it like convinces me of things that aren't true. Like, oh, you're going through this? If you were going through this, if you're going through this, then God doesn't love you. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Shut up, brain. God is good. He is love. And he can be trusted. And that's what the disciples learned last week. And I hope that's what we took with us into this past week that we have, that God is good and that he can be trusted. Well, now we open up on the shores of the other side of the sea. And, and I love the question that the disciples were faced with in Matthew 8, 27, when Jesus just like rebuked them for their lack of faith or a little bit of faith and then told the storm to shut up. And the storm did. That's like crazy authority. Could you imagine being in the middle of a raging storm and just walking out and saying, shut up, storm, and it does? Dude, that would be a rad party trick. <laughs> Could you imagine? Hey, y'all, check this out. No, no, just check this out. Watch it. I'd probably walk outside, lift my hand, get struck by lightning. But you know, you usually, shut up, Storm. Anyway, it does. And they were left asking this question, 
what sort of man is this? Yeah. And I think some of us are asking that question because like you've heard about Jesus, maybe you grew up hearing about Jesus or talking about Jesus or you've been around this concept of Jesus and you've heard things about him, but you're left asking the question, what sort of man is this that you worship him? You see, people are watching. We always think that people don't want to hear about our Jesus. No, that's not the reality because the one story that people will not argue against is your story. They, they're watching you. You can talk about Jesus. Did you know that? Like, you can literally talk about Jesus. People are not turned off of you talking about your Jesus. And they're watching. They're asking the question, okay, so what sort of man is this Jesus that you say you worship him? So they get to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which tells us that we're going to get through it. You know what I mean? We're going to get through the storm. That doesn't mean there isn't crazy on the other side. You know what I mean? Like, we're going to get through the storm, but there may be crazy when we get there. Matthew 8, 28, I love this. When he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, that is Gentile country, two raving, suicidal, murderous, violent lunatics come running at them. Like, dude, if I was in this situation, anyway, read this. Two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tombs so fierce that no one could pass that way. Like, if I saw that, like if I saw two crazy, raving lunatics, like murderous, running at me, I'd be like, oh, let's wrap this up, Jesus. Like, we're going back in the boat, right? Like, <laughs> and Jesus keeps walking forward, and I'd be like, hey, Jesus, you're going the wrong way. Like, time to get back in the boat, but that's not what Jesus does. You see, Jesus had an appointment to keep on his sovereign calendar. He showed up on the shore of these guys' crazy life because they were tormented. Like, we forget that. Like, we forget that about Jesus, that he shows up in our tormented life because he doesn't want us to be tormented. He wants us to be at peace and experience true, tangible spiritual sanity. That's what he wants for us. And he shows up on the shores, and, and we don't get a whole lot of description about these men. In Mark's gospel, and I want you to turn there, Mark chapter 5, this is, this is really uh, uh, an incredible description. I mean, just horrendous suffering. In, in Mark, what he does is he focuses on one of the two men. But just the description of this person's life. And this tells me that Jesus is drawn to those who are suffering. He's drawn to the spiritually sick. And I'm talking about those who are like face down in a dirty hotel room right on the carpet, like praying, dear God. Like I'm talking the desperate prayers. Like Jesus shows up in those moments. Listen to the description of this man. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Okay, So this man, specifically Mark focuses on, but two run at Jesus. Listen to the description. He, being one of the men, lived among the tombs. That is, he dwelled with death. And no one could bind him anymore. You see that there's a progressive nature of this thing. Because there was a time 
where probably things were semi under control, but as time went on, he was like driven from his family, driven from maybe his job, driven from his community, and there was nothing that anyone could do anymore. He lived among the tombs. They couldn't bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Listen to this. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Okay, like a person cuts themselves with razor blades and then covers the scars with long sleeves. Like night and day, suffering. And, and you may not be aware of this, family, but we are literally swimming in the sea of people's suffering in our daily lives. We, we swim in the sea of suffering all around us, like the shackles of addiction to those who like drink and drug well into the night or, or those who consume pornography, like unable to stop. Like I should be able to stop, right? Like, okay, I'll never do this again. But like hours later, like returning back to it, shackled. Those who are addicted to shopping, like, I can't stop clicking, clicking on Amazon, add to cart, send to house. Like, I get a little rush every time I order something or every time I lay a bet or something to escape so I don't feel. And, and then the quiet suffering of mental illness, which is incredibly stigmatized. It's like incredibly in the church. And the quiet suffering. Like, like, we need to peel the layers off this thing and like talk about it. Like, here's what's crazy. God has given me a special gift. Like other people will call it a sickness or a, something wrong with the brain, but I call it a special gift. See, I have this incredible superpower. <laughs> like I can operate at an RPM that most mortals can't. Man, I can be productive for like weeks. It's fun. I mean, not so much for the people on the ride with me. It's pretty, pretty crazy. And I think I start thinking all these like crazy, super amazing thoughts that aren't probably all that super or amazing. And you know, I rev at this height, but then I, I also go down into this hole. And by God's grace, I've been given a neutral where I can operate in that. But you know what? There's too many Christians who suffer silently, never getting help because they believe somehow they're not spiritually, uh, like there's something wrong with them spiritually. They're not praying enough. They're not reading their Bible enough or whatever. And here's the deal. You can't conquer depression with scripture reading. Not always. You can't conquer bipolar disorder by, uh, I, I, I don't know, like um, praying harder. You, you can't lick schizophrenia by, by just adding more Bible studies to your day. Like there are literally mental illnesses that people need help with, and we've done a really crummy job in the church even talking about it. But see, Jesus has come to liberate and set us free, and he uses all forms of, of, like, of mechanisms of counseling and even medicine to help. So here's this, this person, and, and, and I think at, all, at times, all of us can be like Michael Douglas. And we're just falling down, man. And we come to discover the source of his suffering, and it comes from within the men like this guttural, grotesque voice, Matthew 8, verse 29, and behold, 
they cried out. Now, this is this, the men's voices, but it's not the men who are speaking like this. I can imagine this guttural, grotesque, what have you to do with us, O son of God? Have you come to torment us before the time? Like, I'd imagine the disciples were like, whoa, dude. Uh, Peter, what do you, I don't know, man. I mean, it sounds like what you would see like in a horror movie because that's what we're conditioned to believe. Oh, this is just stuff that happened back then or it's just the stuff of fiction or whatever. No, this is real. These are real demons. And they ask two very interesting questions. Why are you here and why are you here now? You see, there will be a day when the demons will be cast into the lake of fire that literally you can tell a demon go to hell and in the future that's reality. But the demons are like, uh, you're early. And this tells me that this region was probably entrenched in demonic infestation. And Mark tells us some information that we don't get in other gospel accounts. And what's fascinating, it is the only time that Jesus asks for a name of the demon. Look at Mark chapter 5, verse 9. And Jesus asked him, that is, he spoke to the men, and Mark, remember, he's focused on one of the guys, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion. For we are many. See, the, the man was speaking, but it was the demon speaking. And, and we're told that his name was Legion, which is actually more of a title and less a name. You see, a Roman legion consisted of 6,000 active troops with 6,000 auxiliary troops under a commander. So I believe what, who Jesus was speaking to was a commanding demon over like 12,000 demons. He like stands there with his army. But he recognizes that he does not have authority over the Son of God. And these demons step up. And they recognize, like they hate Jesus, but they fear him. Because the demons may be tough, but they are defeated foes. And, and as I read this and as I think about it, like the question comes to my mind, well, if there's 12,000, like how many demons are there? Like how many are we really talking about? So I'm going to geek out a little bit on angels and demons. Y'all good with that? Like we never really talk about this in the church, but I'm going to geek out a little bit because this is, this is so cool. So first we're going to talk about angels. Like how many angels are there? And you may be like, I thought we were talking about demons, but we'll get to that. So Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verse 12, tells us that there are an innumerable number of angels. I've kind of highlighted that. Y'all see that? Uh, innumerable angels. So the NIV, this is the English Standard Version, translates it innumerable angels. The NIV translates that phrase thousands upon thousands of angels. And then the net version, the New English uh, translation, translates it a myriad. So it's like a thousands upon thousands upon thousands, a myriad. It's a countless number. So how many angels are there beyond our ability to count? 
That's how many angels they are, there are. And we're told some really cool things about angels in the scriptures. One of those things that we're told that, that literally as believers, there are angels watching after us, like guardian angels. And I've heard people say this, it felt like somebody was looking out for me. You ever had a time in your life like that? Anybody ever like, man, I shouldn't have made it through that. How'd you make it through it? I, I don't know. There was somebody looking out for me. Like the car tacoed, and there was, there was a little cocoon that could have preserved a life, and somehow I got put in that. I met a lady one time. A tornado hit her house. She was holding her child literally in one room. She opened her eyes. The house was totally gone, stripped down to the concrete, and she was in the garage. Someone was looking out. Well, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, we're told, are they not all ministering spirits that are angels sent out to serve for the sake of those who will inherit salvation, that you literally have angels watching after you? Like in Christ, like there are angels who are with us. And in fact, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, we're told to be hospitable because maybe just by chance you may entertain an angel and not even know it. That means there could be an angel sitting next to you right now. Wouldn't that be a trip? My spouse? <laughs> I knew it. <sighs> Son? <laughs> but it's true. There's this reality, and, and we see it in the life of Abraham. The Lord and a couple angels show up, and he, like, feeds them. And has a meal with them. Uh, by the way, I want to say this. And I know I'm going to burst some bubbles. I just bubble, pop. I got to do it. Like some of us have this erroneous belief that when you die, you're going to become an angel. Like I hear people say that. Oh, she or he became my guardian angel. No, they did not. Okay, angels and humanity, totally different parts of God's created order. Totally different. When you die, you don't get wings. I'm sorry. I know. Some of you are like, oh, I just can't wait to get my wings. <laughs> what are you doing? I'm practicing. <laughs> Keep on practicing, homie. You ain't getting no wings. <laughs> so <laughs> why focus? I'm sorry. I told you I was going to geek out a little bit. So why focus so much on angels? I thought we were talking about demons. Well, first, we talk about angels because demons are fallen angels. And for us to get an idea of how many demons we're talking about, we've got to get an idea of how many angels we're talking about. And we're already talking about innumerable. And we're told in the scriptures, there's this picture in Revelation 12. I want you to turn there in your Bible, the book of Revelation. I know some of you, like, you're like end times junkies, and you're like, finally! The book of Revelation. Yeah. Settle down. But we are going to look, and John was looking forward, but also looking back, and I believe what we catch here is a glimpse of something that happened in the past. When in the past, we don't know. Prior to the creation of humanity is my argument. So in Revelation 12, verses 3 through 4, we read, And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. This is, this is like exaggerated language. This is a descriptive language. This is a picture of something. 
His tail swept down a third of the stars. And as I read that, like, I'm like, that's possibly referencing a third of the angelic of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the reason I say that, look at verses 7 through 9 in Revelation 12. Now a war arose in heaven. Okay? And you're going to ask the question, when was this war? And who fought? Well, we're told that Michael the archangel, the commander of the Lord's angelic host, went to battle with Satan and his angels. So I'll keep reading. And the dragon and his, oh, I'm sorry, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was what? Defeated. A defeated foe. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven, listen to that, and the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, so that immediately connects you with Genesis chapter 3, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth along with whom? And his angels were thrown down with him. That means the, the fallen angels, that Satan and his angels were cast down to the earth. Why we call them fallen demons. So the question is, how many demons are we dealing with? Well, if there's an innumerable host of angels and a third of them fell, we're talking like a staggering number of demons. And, and here's the reality. People will often say, like, Satan's around every corner. That's not true. Because Satan is bound by time and space. He can't be everywhere at all times. He's in one part of the geographic thing we call earth. Like, he's somewhere on earth. The scriptures also tell that he's also before the throne accusing the brothers and sisters of Christ. Well, Satan may not be everywhere, but I assure you his demons are. His demons are everywhere. And we don't see them, but we see the effects of them everywhere. And yes, demon possession is still real. And demons possess and oppress people. You see, we live in an infested world. It is infested with the demonic. And there will be a day, like the Orkin man, like where they tent a house and they kill those little bugs, there'll be a day when God will tent the earth and he will literally eradicate, send to hell, the demonic. But that ain't yet. And it's not just the world infested. We sometimes have lives that are infested with the demonic. Now, I want to say this. As believers, you cannot be possessed by a demon. You just can't. Because the Holy Spirit of God is within you. But you certainly can be oppressed by one or many. And, and we can start inviting those little bugs into our life. We can open ourselves up. And, and what's interesting is we blame so many different things, like all the problems in my life. But it, it, sometimes you don't, we don't realize what's actually happening. See, you think you have a spouse or an ex-spouse problem. What you may actually have is a demon problem. And by the way, I'm not calling your spouse or your ex-spouse a demon. <laughs> you think you've got a coworker problem. You may just have a demon problem. You think you got a neighbor issue, or you think I have a problem with that person on Facebook or Instagram. Like, you feel yourself getting instigated and angry. You think you got a road rage problem. 
You may just have a demon sitting right past in your seat, like, oh, cut him off, cut him off. <laughs> and then you're sitting there, like, yeah, she cut him off. And then you got that person next to you, and they're like, demon sitting, ha <laughs> you ram them. And, and you see these crazy things that are happening. And you're like, that's a little exaggerated, Chris. Ephesians 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, i.e. you're powerless. You are a powerless creature apart from the empowering work of the Holy Spirit in you. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes and strategies of the, of the devil. And as I think about that, I'm like, whoa, armor, what does that insinuate? A fight, a war, a battle. And then we read further, for we do not wrestle, we don't fight against flesh and blood. You see what's going on here? Like we think we have a people problem. But what we battle against are the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces. Of what? Of evil. I am legion, for we are many. That you may be able to stand, listen to this, verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand, stand firm. Armor up. You know, here's what's crazy. We, we don't go pick fights with demons. Like I've heard people, oh, we're going to go battle Satan. And I'm like, dude, you're going to lose. Um, you don't have to because they bring the battle to us. They just straight up do. And all the more because you're a believer. You're being hunted. Like we're told that the, the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And as I think about the word devour, it means bones and all. It wants to kill you, deceive you. And what's interesting to me is I have been watching like this incredible uptick and like almost like celebrating the demonic. And like embracing it, and we're like, oh, that's not real. That's just like a horror movie or whatever. And I'm like, uh, who told you that? Well, the demons said they're not real. <laughs> okay. I couldn't believe it. The other day I walked into the room, and one of our sons was watching a cartoon. Cartoons, right? You're like, dude, cartoons rock. Who doesn't love Saturday morning cartoons? Do you all remember that? Yeah, any, any children of the 80s? That was 1980, by the way. <laughs> I love waking up Saturday morning. Well, I'm watching these cartoons, and I'm sitting there, and I'm just like, parents, by the way, watch the programs your kids watch. Go on their phone and look at the things they look at. Some people are like, I just can't control it. I'm like, What? When did you relegate the responsibility of parenting to your children? Anyway, so I'm watching this program, and literally in the show, there is a child, and there's a demon who is trying to possess them and torment them and terrorize them, and one of their friends basically avails themselves of the demon that comes into them and starts to torment and torture them. And I'm like, dude, we, I was like, what? 
eh. Immediately, conversation with my son, that was demonic. That is evil. We're so, uh, at times, spiritually uh, naive. We can't be anymore. We just can't. So uh, these particular demons were reading about, they knew they had no authority. Jesus was around, and, and you know, they think they're bad, then Jesus shows up, all that. Matthew 8, verse 30, now a herd of many pigs, which is peculiar, right? Because it's an unclean animal, and we're like, there's all kinds of discussion about why the pigs and how many there are. There's like 2,000 pigs, and uh, I don't really know why these demons were all excited about moving into pigs, because Jesus is going to issue an eviction order. Jesus is going to be like to these, this demon and demons, he's like, okay, you got to pack your crap and get out. You can't live in this man anymore. You can't live in these men anymore. You're not welcome here. So the demons, they see at a distance uh, some pigs, and they begged him, who has authority in this situation? Jesus begged him, saying, if you cast us out, Jesus is like, yes, you're getting cast out. Send us away into the herd of pigs. And why pigs? Well, they're unclean animals. They love dwelling in unclean places, i.e. the tombs. And they love going into an unclean animal or people. Demons don't like to be homeless. And so that tells me demons are always looking for an unclean host and an unclean life. Demons are always looking for an unclean host and an unclean life. And for some of us who do not have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and you do not have the Holy Spirit of God in you, in front of your life is a vacancy sign. And demons can move in anytime they want. You literally have no defense against the demonic and the evil. Like, that, that's kind of eye-opening when I think about that. Rooms available. Matthew 8, 32. So Jesus said to, him, uh, said to them, go. So they came out of him. I don't know if there was 12,000 demons up in, in, in these two dudes' lives. That's incredibly crazy. Uh, and they went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and was drowned in the waters. Why? Because demons destroy things. They destroy the host they go into. And we're provided an amazing an account of what happened to this man, but also these men. Because in verse 33 of Matthew 8, we read, The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what happened to the demon-possessed men. We get no record of what happened in Matthew's gospel, but in Mark. Check this out, Floyd. This is crazy. Is there a Floyd in here? kind of use that expression. I love you, Floyd. If you're watching at home, Floyd, you were loved. So the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what had happened. They were like, what happened to the pigs? Okay. Wait, those guys? What happened to them? Well, demons got casted out of them. Really? Let's go see. So they go, and they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man and men, the one who had the legion sitting there, check this out, clothed and in his right mind. See, Jesus shows up on the shore of our crazy. And if we are willing, he will literally 
cast out, where we are clothed in our right mind, a restoration of spiritual sanity. And and the rest of the story is so cool because this man, this particular man, he immediately is like, Jesus, I want to get in the boat. I want to go with you. And Jesus told him no. He said, no, you go home. You go tell your friends everything that Jesus has done for you. And we read this incredible note in chapter 5 of Mark that the man went to the Decapolis, that is to the ten cities of this Gentile, demonically infested uh, piece of geography, and he went and proclaimed the message of Jesus. That's what happens in our life. Jesus sets us free, and we go proclaim his name to the masses. Amen? Amen? Share what Jesus has done in your life. Share what Jesus has done in your life. Proclaim it. Literally. This is who I was. This is what Jesus has done. This is who I am now. And people maybe listen to that, and maybe the Holy Spirit moves in their life, and they go, maybe Jesus can do that in my life as well. All right, so let's stand up. I'm going to pray over us, and I'll speak words. Uh, over us of benediction. But before you leave today, are you armored up? Do you have a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? I mean, truly. Have you allowed Jesus to save you, to cleanse you of your sin, to give you eternal life? Have you re-surrendered your life to Jesus? Where you may have been wandering away and just like drifting, and now you're like, okay, the Lord's got me back. Lord, we thank you for this morning and and our time in your word and, and Lord, peeling back the veneer to reveal to us truly the darkness and the infestation of this world and and even the oppression of our own lives. Or we got enough sin in our, our veins to, to do all kinds of crazy stuff. We don't need the demons' help, but they are after us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would restore us to spiritual eyes and sight, that we'd not get lulled, and that we'd walk out of here armored up. If you're needing to restore, return to the Lord right now, tell him, Lord Jesus, I've wandered away. I've wandered out into the wilderness and and it has been pig slop and vomit. It has been death. I repent. Please restore my life. If you have not invited Jesus into your life, tell him, Lord Jesus, I believe. I believe that you died for me. I believe you were buried. I believe you've risen. Jesus, save my life. Maybe that's where you're at right now, that that experience, hotel, dirty room, face down in the carpet. Jesus, save me. That is why Jesus has come. That's truly your heart's prayer. The Bible said you've passed from death to life. Welcome to the family. Lord, protect us today. Armor us up. Give us brothers and sisters to stand in the fight with. May we never fight alone. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, family, it's time to go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. 
Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. And share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all till we meet again, same time, same place next week. And do not forget, family, you are loved. Now let's go rock the streets with the love of Jesus. Amen? All right.